You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, come on. We're the 11 o'clock. We can do better than that. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? There we go. That's more like it. Love to hear that this morning. Well, hey, uh, happy early Independence Day to you. That is tomorrow. Looking forward to celebrating that. Going to Mill Creek tomorrow night. Hopefully seeing many of you just having a, a good time. But even more so than that, I'm just so excited that we are here in God's house this morning. Amen. I mean, what a blessing it is that we have to come and gather together, and we don't have to wonder if God is with us. We know. We have that full confidence that God is with us. And what a blessing we have this morning to open up God's Word. And I'm going to tell you already, the Lord is at work this morning, Connection Church. I know the Spirit is doing a work in this place. I know that He's been doing it already this morning. We are celebrating one person who received salvation this morning, who went from death to life in Jesus Christ. Can we celebrate that? It's awesome. And that's exactly what it's about, church. I always want us to celebrate that, that we get to see people come to know Jesus. And that is what it is all about. It is just such a sweet, sweet thing. And I know that he's just got even more incredible things for us for the rest of the day. But now I look out and I scan the crowd and I know a lot of people and I recognize a lot of faces, but then there's a lot of faces that I don't recognize and I imagine it's probably kind of mutual. A lot of you are looking up here and you're like, whoa, 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 this isn't Brandon. This this is a young dude. Those are not bootcut jeans. Those are skinny jeans. What's going on here this morning? Something is wrong. No, rest assured, everything is okay this morning. No, Brandon's out of town on vacation and so I'm just so blessed to have the opportunity just to read God's word and just to let the spirit speak. I can promise you that all I'm going to do is open my mouth and obey. And I promise you that the Spirit is going to speak because we are reading from His Word. He's going to do incredible things. And I want to reassure you that the Spirit is telling me on my heart right now that He wants to break chains in this place this morning. That He wants for us to receive freedom in this place this morning. And when we open up God's Word, that is all that we need to do that God does the rest, that we open the word and we listen and God does the rest. And so that's what I'm promising you this morning is that I'm gonna open my mouth and I'm gonna obey and I'm expecting the spirit to move in an incredible way. I really am. And again, just what a blessing it is. I'll tell you just a little bit about me is that Statesboro, you all adopted me about four years ago when I came over here to school at Georgia Southern. And uh, I've just recently graduated in May. Yeah, thank the Lord. Didn't think I would get through for a minute there, but we made it. Thank you, Jesus. But three years ago, you all, Connection Church, you adopted me and uh, started interning with our student ministries. And uh, for the past year, served as the uh, 212, which is middle school ministry coordinator here at Connection Church. And uh, just what a blessing it is to have the joy and sometimes frustration of teaching middle school students week in and week out. We got any parents and middle school students in here? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yes, uh-huh. We got we to gotta talk after this, some of y'all. I'm just kidding. No. Many of you, I need to thank. I need to thank. Because the culture and just the foundation that you were laying in your home, banking it all on the Word of God, it is just such a joy to see these students come to 212 and come to Doxa week in and week out and know about the Bible and have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ because you are cultivating that 
in your homes. So thank you so much for that. And like I said, I'm just so excited about what the Lord's put on my heart this morning. But again, speaking of 212 and Doxa, about let it slip my mind. We had this little cool thing this past weekend called Forward Conference. It was awesome, y'all. Wish y'all all could have been there, but it was just incredible. I tell you, the worship was great. The teaching was great. But I'll tell you the most important and just amazing thing about Forward was not actually during a session, but it was Saturday night. As we were taking the buses back to the hotel and the students are there and they begin singing just lifting up praise and worship to God. And they were singing a song that has just meant so much to me this week as I've been preparing this sermon. And you might know it. It's one of my favorites, but it's by Bethel, and it's called No Longer Slaves. And that song, it says that I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. And I just want to speak that over this place this morning. I feel like the Spirit is calling me to do nothing less. That somebody in here that you're dealing with fear, like I have been this weekend preparing for this message, but I want to reassure you that the Spirit's got it taken care of, that God has done everything for you, that you don't have to fear anymore, but now you are a child of God. We've been brought into the family because of Jesus. And so maybe for you right now in this moment, you know I'm speaking to you, that that is you, where you've just got all of this fear, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe something with your family or with your job. I don't know. But you do not have to fear any longer because God has set you free. And the Bible says that he, uh, he who Jesus sets free is free indeed. That's what I want us to remember this morning, that we are free indeed. We're no longer slaves. We're children of God. So let's rest in that this morning and let's dive straight into his word. We're in Built to Last, the last week here. In this series, you've heard us talk about some different things this morning. I want us to be focusing on how we grow as the church. So you probably already know it by heart, but will you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're actually going to start in chapter 1. My bad. We're going to back up just a little bit. And I want us to start in verse 22. Hopefully have your Bibles. If you don't, it's going to be up on the screen so you can follow along. Listen to God's word here. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, will you pray with me? Father God, we're just in awe of you this morning. God, you're so good. God, I, I thank you just for the opportunity and the blessing to come together, to gather as your church, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for all that you have done out of love for us, laying yourself down out of love for us, your church. And God, I thank you for the promise that you have given us as the church, that you are building us, that with Jesus Christ as our cornerstone, that God, you're building us. And you, you are building us out of living stones, each of us together for your glory. And God, I thank you for the promise that that temple is built to last, that we as the church were built to last. God, I thank you just for the opportunity to open your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the ways that it's already spoken to our hearts. And right now in this moment, God, I pray that it would just, just be clear to each and every person in here right now, Lord. I pray that by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit that you will continue to change hearts, change lives. Father, I thank you for the one person who gave their life to you this morning, God. We are so joyful and we thank you, Lord. The glory is all yours. And God, I know that you're not done. I know that you still want to do incredible things right here, right now in the 11 o'clock, Lord. I pray that you would just have your way. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you just flood this room? Would you flood our hearts? And Lord, just put our eyes back on Jesus. And right now, for the person in this room that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, God, I pray that you would just draw them close to yourself in this moment. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, a broken vessel. Holy Spirit, I need you. I pray that these are your words and not mine. I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross, that we would lift up the one name that deserves to be lifted above all names, and that is Jesus Christ in this place this morning. God, I love you, and I thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Well, again, we're in Built to Last, wrapping things up. This is the last week. And uh, like I'm talking about, we've talked about some different things about the church in the previous weeks. We've talked about how we belong, we worship, we matter, we believe. And so this week, what I want us to focus on is how we grow as the church. And so what I hope to show you is that church, there is a need for us to grow up as a church, that we cannot be complacent with where we are. And I will tell you, God is doing some incredible things, but we say it all the time here at Connection Church, that because of Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Amen? So if we believe that, then we are constantly praying, and we're expecting God to do big things as we pray big things. And what that requires of us is that we grow, that we move, because God is not done with us. He says that we are like living stones who are being built up. That process is still going on. And what a blessing that we have to be as the church to be built up by God. But what I want to show you is that we really need to grow up. We need to. The main verse that I want to be focusing on this morning is verse 2. And it says this, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I was looking around in the Bible, and most places where it's talking about being a child, it's a good thing, right? 
I mean, just think about it. In the Bible, you know, Jesus says himself, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, then you must have faith like this child. But in this passage, Peter is saying, no, it's not a good thing to be a child here. Why? Well, consider the context that Peter is writing to. He's writing to a church that is undergoing war, a church that is undergoing persecution and suffering. He says, you are going through all of these things, and therefore you need a firm foundation. You need to grow up. You need to be the people who God has designed you to be. Yes, you were little children when you first came to faith, but now you need to grow up. And the reason that this is so important for us today, and forgive me for being harsh this morning, but some of us in this room, we're still children. We're still children in our relationship with Christ. Well, think about it with children. And now, parents, I go ahead and just apologize, excuse me, in advance, because I love children. Heck, I teach middle school students each and every week. But there's something important that we can learn from children applied to this passage. And the first thing we know is that, well, children, well, they're insecure. They're unstable. I mean, think about it. They're always seeking direction, and then they're they're not going to go here, and they're not going to go there without some direction. They need to know, where am I going? And they're insecure. They don't really know who they are. They constantly need to be fed. They're completely dependent on their parents. We got some parents in here this morning. We all know this to be true, and I'm not a parent, thank goodness, but we know it. We know it. But here's the thing, too, is that children do not withstand suffering. I remember back in my own childhood, and I was very young, and I can't even remember how old I was, but I lost a family member of mine when I was super young in a tragic way. And my parents, in order to protect me, and they're here today, love you, Mom and Dad, in order to protect me, they didn't tell me the full story about what had happened with that family member. Why? Because I was a child. I couldn't comprehend what had happened. And I look back, and I'm super thankful for that because they protected me. But I was a child. I couldn't have withstood the suffering. Now, Christians, we all know that suffering is inevitable, right? We have all been through some form of suffering at one point or another in our life, and we have been through some, and then it's coming again. Suffering is here. But Christians, what I want to encourage you with this morning is that what suffering does to us as Christ followers is it either makes us or it breaks us. And we as Christians are the ones that can stand up proudly and say, no, suffering makes us. Because I'm going to rejoice in the midst of this trial. I'm going to rejoice in the midst of the suffering. Not because the suffering is here, but because I know my God is greater. I know he's greater than this present situation that I find myself in. But you see, in order to have that mindset, we have to grow up in the Lord. Because the sad truth, if we're not grown up in the Lord when that suffering comes, well, what's going to happen? Suffering comes and something bad is going to happen. We may even walk away from the faith. We're going to be shaken. We're going to begin to doubt. We're going to begin to worry. And all of these things just start creeping in our minds. But we have to grow up as the church. Another thing I want you to consider with children is that children do not see the bigger picture and the bigger promise. I got a cool story that I want to tell you to kind of put this into perspective. Now, last week we had vacation Bible school here at Connection Church, and it was just awesome. If you served at VBS, will you put your hand up in the air? Love it. Love it. Thank you all for your service. I mean, it was just a joy to see each and every one of those kids just light up when you're telling them about Jesus and singing songs with them and playing games. And I tell you, I had the great privilege last week during VBS to teach 
on Monday and Tuesday. And so Monday came around and, you know, I taught and it was awesome because you had three different groups of kids and they were rolling in. And especially when the first graders got there, y'all, y'all, y'all need to go hang out with the first graders sometime. They will get you pumped up. You'll be walking out of there like dancing and skipping. You're like, let's go. You're just pumped up because the first graders, they got all of this energy. You know, I'm speaking, and of course, they're like raising hands up in the middle. They're like, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but Mr. Justin, Mr. Justin, I'm like, hold on just a minute, you know, but I love them to death. Love the first graders. But now, Monday, it was awesome. Tuesday came around. I'm talking to Miss Nina and Miss Olivia because they're the ones that, you know, gave me this great privilege of teaching with them. And I'm like, okay, you know, Miss Nina, Miss Olivia, what am I going to be teaching on today? You know, Miss Olivia, I got to pick on her a little bit. Well, you're going to be talking about Stephen in Acts 7. I was like, excuse me? Could you say that again? Stephen, you want me to tell first graders about Stephen in Acts 7? Okay, all right. So I did it, and, you know, I kind of had some reservations. Like, oh, boy, all right. Holy Spirit, you got to take over on this one because this one's going to be rough. But time came around. First two groups went great. First graders came in. I'm like, yes, all right. This is the one that could blow up in my face. I have no idea how this is going to go. And so I'm telling them about Stephen. And we all know Stephen's story from Acts 7. We know that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that his face was shining because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I really kind of built him up. And after I realized it, I felt really bad about it because I was like, yeah. And then Stephen, he got pushed in a corner by some people that didn't like him. And then you know what happened next? And you, y'all, did you, you should have seen these kids, y'all. The faces. I'm talking about like deer in headlight. Like, what? And then what happened next? What happened to Stephen? They're like, they're like begging me. They're like yelling at me. They're like, no, tell me what happened to Stephen. Like, okay, all right. Stephen was stoned to death. Yeah. Y'all, y'all, mm, mm. I got to tell you about one little first grader. And uh, if, if her parents are in here tonight or this morning, excuse me, then uh, I apologize. I'll pay for her counseling later. Like, so sorry about this. But what happened is, you know, she's hanging on to every word. You know, she's like, what happened to Stephen? And then, and then, and I'm like, and then Stephen got stoned. And then y'all, I'm talking about deer in headlight look went immediately to the most dramatic, just tear fest you have ever seen in your life. I'm talking about hands went straight up on the face and then just face hit the ground and just tears everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere, y'all, all over the place. And then I'm standing there and I'm like, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, you know? But like literally in that moment, you know, it was pulling at my heartstrings because I'm like, I'm so sorry. But here's the reality of it is that I could see through that that children just don't see the bigger picture. They don't see the bigger promise. Yes, we should read Acts 7 and it should strike a chord with us and we should mourn to an extent, but we also need to see the bigger picture and realize that Stephen would not want us to mourn over him. Stephen would want us to marvel at what Jesus did for us. That's what Stephen would do. That's why he laid down his life, because Jesus did so before him. And so children just don't see the bigger picture. And so back to it, many of us in here, we're like children. But what we need to do is we need to grow up in the Lord. And God promises to bring the growth, church. We don't have to worry about growing ourselves. All that we do is we provide the longing for that pure uh, spiritual milk 
and he grows us by his spirit and by his word. And this morning, what the Lord's really laying on my heart is that the biggest thing missing in our lives and why we're not growing is a complete dependence on the word of God. That we're not making God's word the cornerstone of our lives. That we're surely not living by it. And so this morning, that's my prayer, is that this morning we rediscover a passion for God and his word. I can tell you, you should have a passion after seeing the way that God has moved in this place already. And throughout this week, we had two students come to know Christ Wednesday night at 212 in Doxa, and we had one person come to know Christ this morning at church. We got a reason to celebrate. We got a reason to be pumped up. We got a reason to come to God and his word because he promises to meet us there. So let's go to his word. But here's the thing that Peter gives us is he gives us some signs to know if you're mature in Christ. Some ways to know if you're mature in Christ. And the first way is this, beginning in verse 22. Listen to this again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, skipping down to 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Well, the first thing, the first mark of a mature Christian is that you are obedient to the truth. And we know that God's word is the big T truth that is much larger than all of the little T truths that we hear each and every day. We know that we can bank on this because it's, it is true that God has never failed to keep a promise. God has always come through on us, and that's why we can bank on his word and the big T truth that we find here. And that word obey, obey the truth, it really means believe. So that when we believe that Christ is who he says he is, we then obey him. Because we can't have one without the other, church. If we believe him, we will obey him out of love for him. The second thing that we see as a mark of a mature Christian is sincere brotherly love. Right after he says that, he says that love one another earnestly, earnestly. Now, I went and looked up that word earnestly, and just like Bo Fordham last week, went and looked it up in the Hebrew-Greek thingamajiggy, and I found out that what earnestly... This word is used one other place in Scripture, and it's depicting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That while he is there and he is praying, and the Bible says that he was praying so hard that he was sweating blood, and he says, God, not my will, but yours be done. That was that earnest that he felt, that earnesty that he felt right there in that moment. And Peter tells us that you should love one another with the same kind of earnesty. That's how you should love one another. Now, church, we need a reminder this morning, including myself, we need a reminder this morning that the unbelieving world on the outside is looking inside here to see how we love one another. The unbelieving world outside is also seeing if we're going to love them. And church, let's just be honest. Here lately, we have done a terrible job of loving people that are not like us. We have done a terrible job of loving people that do not look like us, do not talk like us, do not act like us, that are not uh, where we are from. But there can be absolutely no stipulations on love if we are the body of Christ. Because I hear your reservations. Well, Justin, you just don't know that person in my life. They're so hard to love. 
Well, I kind of do. I've, I've had that before too. I know those people. And I realize that sometimes it's hard to love, hard to love people. But church, we've seen it before at the cross that Jesus died for us. Even though we were hard to love, he loved us, so he gave himself up for us. We need to remember that. We must remember that this morning, that we have to love one another. And here's the only requirement on loving one another. You say, well, Justin, what must we do? What must we do? Because I know there's people that you're talking about that's hard to love people. Well, how, how do I love them through it? Ask yourself this question about that person, whoever it may be. Are they a human being made in the image of God? If the answer is yes, then yes, you should love them, period. You should love them, especially if they're their enemies. Church, we have to realize that we have not done anything uniquely Christian until we have loved our enemies. Nothing. Everyone else prays. Everyone else reads the Bible. But we as Christians are the ones that say we can love our enemies, we must be that way. We must love one another earnestly. And the third mark of a mature Christian is in that verse 25. It says, this was the good news that was preached to you. We got to be dependent on the word of God. Remember, maybe it has slipped your mind, but remember that somebody came alongside you and invested in you and planted a seed in you and the Holy Spirit came and watered it. Now here you are today if you are in Christ. Let us not lose the wonder. Let us not lose the thankfulness and the gratefulness for that. We must be dependent on the word. It was planted in us, and it is exactly what we need to continue to grow as Christians. This is what we need. Now, on the other hand, what are some marks of a child, of an infant in Christ? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. All of these things, I could go through one by one, malice being like this deep soul anger, deceit being distorting the truth, hypocrisy, when Jesus used this term, what he was referring to as actors back in the day in theaters. And what they would do is they would be on stage one minute with one mask, and then they would come back on stage with a different mask. All of these things are deep interpersonal sins against one another. And Peter says that if you are an infant in Christ, these are the things that mark your life. Now, church, let's be honest. We know that these things exist in the church. We must be honest that there are plenty of problems in the church. One of the most just convicting quotes I've ever heard in my life, the guy said this. He says, when we meet Jesus, we realize we don't have problems. We are the problem." We know these things exist in us and in the church. But church, we must never be more fixated on the fact that this house houses the problems. We need to be more fixated on the house houses the solution. Jesus Christ. Because we are imperfect people. We are living stones with jagged edges, but God is building us into a holy nation, into a royal priesthood, into a people after his own possession. That's who God says we are. That's big T truth. That's a promise that God has kept and will keep. So all of these things, these are marks of an immature Christian, of an infant in Christ. And he goes on here and he's talking about this growing up in verse two, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. 
if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Well, church, I can tell you this, speaking from experience, and I think many of us in here would agree, that you cannot taste how good God is and turn away. You can't. Once you've met Jesus, you will never be the same, ever. We as the church are the ones that say, yes, 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 we know we've got these problems. We know we've got all these things, but we never claim to be perfect. In fact, we rather trust in the one person who is perfect, and that's Jesus. That is Jesus. That is our role as the church, and we are growing up. We are called to grow up in him. So let us grow up, church. Let us grow up because we have tasted that the Lord is good. And he goes on and he begins to talk about how Christ is the cornerstone. Listen to this. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. A cornerstone is Jesus. And what he is saying is that build your life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ because everything else will fail you. Everything else. And now I can tell you this morning that for so long in my life, what my cornerstone was that I was building my life on was man's approval. For so long, I just began to, to wonder, well, what do these people think about me? Well, what do they say about me behind my back? And so what I did is I began to live a double life. I was hypocritical. And then for those people who began to catch on and then they started to call me out on some things, well, then I would have just this deep soul anger, malice. I would begin to distort the truth when somebody began to share some news about me. I'd say, no, that's not true. I would slander other people as soon as they got under my skin enough. And so what we must realize is that if anything in our lives beside Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, we're going to look more like verse 1 instead of verse 2, and that's a shame. We're going to be characterized by malice and deceit and envy and slander and hypocrisy. And church, this ought not be so. This ought not be so. We need to make Jesus Christ the cornerstone in our lives. And now I want to give you another way just to see, well, what does it mean to grow up? Well, what does it look like to grow up in Christ? And so what I want you to do is turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. It's just a couple of pages over. And this is a passage of Scripture which has become my favorite because I just recently understood what it meant and it's 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. And now, after doing some careful study of this passage, what I realize that John is doing here in this scripture is he is showing us three different phases of spiritual maturity, and he's giving us the rite of passage as to how to go from one phase to the next phase. And so read with me again, and this is the first phase. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now, Christians, I have talked to so many people, and for so long in my life, this was the biggest hang-up in my life, was not realizing that my sins are forgiven. And church, so it is with so many of us. 
We just don't believe it. We can read it in the Bible and we know it to be true because we hear it all of the time at church, but at the same time, we don't really believe that our sins are forgiven. For so many of us that are in Christ, we still struggle with this and so we are little children. We have no problem with accepting Jesus. We're okay with Jesus. We have no problem with accepting his gospel. The biggest thing that we have a problem with is accepting our acceptance is accepting the fact that because of Jesus and not because of anything that we did, we're perfectly accepted into his family, that we are now children of God. So welcome, church. Accept your acceptance. I'm writing to you, children. Know your sins are forgiven and live in that. And don't worry if you just don't feel it. You see, this is the biggest characteristic of this little children phase is that it's marked by a lot of feeling and a little bit of truth. But you see, in Christianity, it's not about feeling it. It's about knowing it in his word. We need to know that our sins are forgiven and live like it, church. That's what it is. The next phase of spiritual maturity is this. He says, I write to you, young men, because you're strong because the word of God abides in you, because you have overcome the evil one. And now I need to be honest, part of the reason that you know, the Lord led me to this passage was because it goes right along with growing and spiritual maturity. But the other reason is because young men, you've been on my heart all week. And fathers, you've been on my heart for the past several weeks. But young men, I wanna speak to you right now in this room. You know who you are. Maybe you're physically a young man in here this morning like me. Or maybe spiritually you're a young man. You're past the little children phase, but you're not yet at the father phase. I want to speak to you for a minute because I know the struggles that you have. Whether it be lust or man's approval or anything like that. But what we need to know, young men, is that the mark of maturity is not doing this or doing that like the world likes to say, in order to be a man, you must do this. That is not the mark of a mature man. Rather, the mark of a mature man is one who reads God's word and understands and allows that to govern his decisions and his plans. That's what the mark of a mature man is, young men. We need to realize that we have already overcome the evil one. Now, not us personally, but because we are in Jesus and because Jesus has overcome the evil one, we too have overcome the evil one. Therefore, the next time that you feel tempted, the next time you feel tried, go back to God's word. And instead of just picking up one time a day and reading a couple verses, meditate on it. Make it a part of your life. Make it the cornerstone of your life. And let that promise ring clear in your mind that you can overcome the evil one because of that. The third phase is this. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, fathers, I told you that you are on my heart too. And now I am not a father. I need to make that clear this morning. But fathers, my heart goes out to you this morning. So many of you, your children are in 212 and Doxa. And that means I'm praying for you. I'm caring for you and so many, like I talked about earlier, I'm so encouraged by you because you are setting a foundation in your home. I think of one family in particular where they literally write scripture all over their walls so that they know it and they memorize it and they meditate on it day and night. Fathers, thank you for setting that example 
for your children. But for so many other fathers, you are in the home, maybe, but you're not actually in the home. When are you going to begin to set a foundation for your children in the word of God? When are you going to give them an example to follow instead of just preaching it to them? When are you yourself going to make Christ Jesus the cornerstone of your home? When are you going to accept responsibility instead of waiting for when your children walk away from you and you say, well, I did all I could. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Now, fathers, I apologize for being so harsh, but it's what the Lord's been laying on my heart, and you have no idea the kind of impact, positive or negative, that you are having in your children's lives. Two weeks ago, I served at Teen Reach Adventure Camp. You've seen a video of it before here at Connection, and Jason and Robbie Robichaud put this on, and it's an it's a adventure camp for foster children. And just seeing these kids light up because for the first time in their lives, they realize that they're loved. That even though they might not have a father who loves them and accepts them, they know that they have a heavenly father who loves and accepts them. You have no idea how much of an impact you have on your children. But if we would realize it, and we would come to grow up ourselves so that we can grow children up. And they are not just the future, they are the present. Our children are our present. So let us realize that. Fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. This phase is marked by a profound trust in God. This is saying, God, things might be falling apart right now, and I know I wanna have control because men, we love to have control. And I know I want to have control so bad, but I can't. But God, I trust you through this anyway. I know that you're going to get me through it this time because you got, it, you got me through it last time. That is what this phase is marked by. So let us strive to be fathers in the faith. Ladies, let us strive to be mothers in the faith. Continue to grow up in the faith at all costs because God calls us to do exactly that. He calls us to do exactly that. And what is the key to this growth? It's the Word of God. Make no mistake about it. It is the Word of God. It is the Gospel. And this Gospel belongs to Jesus Christ. The Gospel. The Word of God. Do not undermine the importance of the Word of God. Peter tells us three things about the Word of God in this passage. The first thing he says is that it's imperishable. That means that it will never fall away, that it will never fade away. He says the grass, it withers and it fades and it falls away, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Therefore, fathers, let us build up our homes on a sure foundation that will never fail us, that will never fall away. Let us make Christ and his word the cornerstone of our homes. Why? Because it's important. It is the word of God. It changes hearts, it changes lives that we've already seen this morning. It's doing so right now because it never returns void despite a broken vessel who speaks it. The second thing that he says is that it's alive. And we know this to be true. In our own personal study in the Bible, how many times have you been convicted by the Bible? The Bible says that it's like a double-edged sword. I know that all too well. I've heard it said this way. 
that if you read the Bible and you've never gotten offended by it, then you might be reading the wrong Bible. We all know this to be true. It cuts us down where we need to be cut down. It humbles us where we need to be humbled. But then it picks us up where we need to be picked up. It gives us the encouragement that we need as Christians. So it's alive. And three, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Those words are out there in that hallway on that wall for good reason, because at this church, it is all about Jesus. Well, so is the word. You'll see in this passage that Peter uses Christ and the word interchangeably. He says that Christ is the word. And we know this to be true, that he is the word himself. And he is the one that changes hearts. He is the one that changes lives through his word. Therefore, when we build our lives on Christ as our cornerstone, we build our lives with the word as our cornerstone as well. There is no other way. He has to be the cornerstone. And as we close today, I just wanna give you three things that we can do in order to grow up, church. Three things to do that have to do with the word of God. The first one is this, obey it, obey the word. Even when it's tough, even when it says some things that we don't necessarily care for, even when it's hard to hear, obey it because we know that it's true. We know that it's right. We know that it will never fail us, that it is the sure word of God. Big T truth. Obey it. Number two, what we do with it, we crave it. We crave it. We make it an instrumental part of our daily lives, whether it be in our personal quiet time with the Lord or whether it be in study with other people. Whatever we do at all costs, we make the Word a central part of our lives each and every day. We have to crave it. We have to be filled with it. This is interesting that Jesus himself, best person to ever do this, to crave the Word. If you add up everything that Jesus says, all of his words in the Gospels, 1800. You know how many of those words were direct quotations of Scripture? 189. That means 10% of everything that Jesus said was the Word of God. And make no mistake about it, he wasn't carrying around a Bible at all times. This is Jesus. He made the Word a central point of his life and never once felt a sin. If we made Jesus Christ and his word the cornerstone in our lives, 99.9% .9 of our problems would disappear. We need to realize the importance of his word. And then three, we need to build our lives upon the word. We need to build our lives on it. We need to make it the cornerstone of our lives and allow God to build up from there. And here's the beautiful thing is that he promises to build it. He promises to build us. He promises to build his church. So are we going to build our lives and our homes and our church on the cornerstone of the word and of Jesus Christ? I hope and I pray that our answer today is yes. It's yes. And as we close today, I wanna to tell you a little story, a little flashback from the past. By the way, in order to kind of set this, I'm from a little town called Cordial, Georgia. Anybody ever heard of Cordial, Georgia before? That's actually a couple of people. All of y'all are from Cordial, you're cheating. Anyway, from Cordial, and it's the watermelon capital of the world. And that means that you do not grow up and avoid either hauling watermelons or doing some kind of construction work in Cordial, all right? So my very first job, 
You betcha. Construction work. I am not a construction worker. I had no idea what I was doing, but y'all, it was a learning process. And I remember I get out there to the first day on the job, and my boss comes, and he says, all right, you're going to get on top of that barn right there, and you're going to nail down this roof and felt. All right. <laughs> Give me what I need. And so we did. And the first thing he did was he gave me one of these things right here. And y'all forgive me because I'm going to put it on and I know I'm going to look ridiculous wearing it. I know it. There it is. No surprise where I got it from. I got one of these things right here. So, all right, I'm good to go. He says, no, not yet. You're going to need something else. So what's that? He says, nails. But I got you covered. They're already in your apron. I said, all right, appreciate it. Good to go. He says, not so fast. Need something to put those nails in with. You're going to need a hammer. And I will tell you, I wish I could tell you, being a man, being a man, wanting to be good at this sort of stuff, I wish I could totally tell you that I went up there and I killed it, y'all that I'm the best construction worker that the world has ever seen, that I just did so amazing that it never has to be fixed, ever. But that is the complete opposite of what's really true. In reality, I got down off of there and I dropped my hammer and I dropped all of my tools because I realized that I am no good at building things. And so I would much rather leave it in the hands of somebody who is experienced and who is good at building things. Now, church, so it is with us in our lives and in us as the church that we need to realize that we are no good at building things, but thank God Jesus is so experienced at building things that he has built us up this far and he promises that he is not going to stop anytime soon, that we are living stones still being arranged, that he still has something yet for us to do. And he tells us that we are the royal priesthood, the holy nation. You're a people after my own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are my people. Once you had not received mercy, but now I have given you mercy. That is what God does to us. And so maybe for us this morning, I'm calling you. And it's not just young men, and it's not just fathers. It's for each and every one of us in this room. I don't know what it is that you're building your house with. I don't know what it is. You'll know it, and I pray that God speaks to you right now in this moment as to what you're building your house with. Maybe you're finding your security in your marriage. You're thinking, oh, well, everything else is crumbling around me, but at least I have a good marriage, and so I'm gonna hold on to that, and I'm gonna build my life on that. No more, church. Well, maybe you're holding on to your own children. Maybe I was speaking to you this morning and you know that you have failed in so many ways, but you're holding on to your children and you're looking for them at security and you're thinking, oh, well, as long as I have my children, everything else can stay together. No more, church. No more. Maybe for you, what you're looking for is sh uh, security in your shame because of some past mistakes that you've done or things that have been done to you. No more, church. Jesus promises to cover our sin and our shame. It's about time we start to live like it. It's about time that we realize that we're built to last as the church. And therefore, with Christ and his word being the cornerstone, our homes 
can be built to last. Everything about us can be built to last. That's a promise. That's a promise. And so this morning, I don't know what it is that you've been looking for security in. I don't know what you've been trying to build your house with. But what I do realize is that if you don't have Christ as your cornerstone, it doesn't matter what you try to build your house with. And so my call to you today is to come and set down your tools for the last time and trust the one who has built us this far and is going to continue to build us. Put down your tools. And this morning, maybe the tool that you've been carrying for so long trying to build your house with has caused you to run away from God. And you're here this morning, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you right now in this moment that God has not given us a spirit of fear. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're children of God. And therefore, if you're a children of God and you realize that and you accept your acceptance for the first time in this place today, I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to ask you to move. I'm going to ask you with confidence to raise your hand and say, I'm giving my life to Jesus for the first time this morning. Is that anyone in here today? If that's you, you can put your hand up in the air. We're looking forward to celebrating with you. But if not, I know that the Spirit is still moving. I know that the Spirit is calling us to lay down things. I know the Spirit is wanting to break some chains in this place this morning. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to come. We're going to close out this service with the only way that we know how, and that's in prayer. So I want you to come and set down your tools and with empty hands say simply to the cross I cling. Nothing else I bring. No more tools. No more building it myself. Jesus, I'm trusting you to build it. So I'm giving you it finally today, God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to pray. You move, but come and realize that we, church, are built to last. Father, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for just the mighty way that you've been moving in this place, God. And God, I thank you. I thank you right now that you're touching hearts, that you're changing lives right now in this moment, God. God, I pray that you would just draw people close to you now, Lord, that no matter what it is that they've been looking for security in, God, that you have greater plans, that you, you want to be their cornerstone your word, you want to make it the cornerstone of their lives. So right now in this moment, Lord, these people that are coming forward, God, I pray that you would just reassure them that you're building them. You are building them, that you will take whatever burden they're carrying. You will take the sin. You will take the shame. Just as you have done before through your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for the work you've done in here. I know that it continues, God. Holy Spirit, continue to move in this place as we pray and set our eyes on you. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.